Igniting well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. We live in a content-saturated world. Everyone is a content creator. Did you realize that in the year 2021, a staggering 8.6 billion short-form videos were unleashed onto the internet through TikTok? Yes, you heard that right, billion with a capital B, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. YouTube boasts a mind-boggling 800 million videos, mostly long-form, in its library. But it's not just videos. Over 2 billion blog posts flood the internet each year, with as many as 6 million blog posts being published in a single day. In the midst of this content explosion, many creators are finding their voices in the world of podcasting. There are currently between 3 million and 4 million podcasts out there, each with an average of about 50 episodes. That's a whopping 150 million podcast episodes waiting to be discovered. Maybe yours is next. Some creators are also exploring paid subscription platforms like Substack, which hosts tens of thousands of newsletters. And this number just keeps growing. And don't forget about the rise of audiobooks with over 200,000 titles available and still rapidly expanding. Even traditional books are thriving, including self-published ones with around 4 million new book titles added each year. If you're looking to make an impact with your ideas, it's essential to understand the competitive landscape you're entering. They must be packaged in a way that's truly remarkable. While we have a deep appreciation for books and we're passionate about helping people write them, we also recognize that a book might not always be the best format for your stories and your ideas. In today's podcast episode, Dave and I are going to dive deep into the benefits of different content formats to help you effectively package your ideas. By the end of this episode, we hope you'll walk away with fresh insights in how to package your ideas. But before we dive into this exciting discussion, let's take a moment to reflect on where we've made progress this week. Dave, can you share where you've made progress recently? So I just returned uh, late last night from my parents' home in Bismarck, North Dakota. I made a quick trip there this past weekend. My parents are 89. My mom's had some health issues. They still live in their own home. And my dad carries a big load and I have some family there, but they're not always able to help with my aging parents. So my dad, who's 89, looks like he's 75 and he has the energy of a 75-year-old, but he's been worn down. So four other siblings, but my younger brother and I made the decision I should go out there and just just check in on him just for two days. It was yeah. like 48 hours. And, and so I did that. And I my whole goal was to make my dad laugh. And so that was it. And and I was able to do that. We laughed a ton. We had a really tender moment where my dad looks, we were having coffee on Sunday morning. He looks at me and says, listen, Dave, did I ever do anything to really hurt you wow. when you were young? And it just floored me. He said, if I did, I am so, so sorry. Please forgive me. It was like the most tender moment that we've had and dad and I are close now. We wow. weren't when I was young. So I respond, I said, dad, I wasn't the easiest kid. You know <laughs> that. I said, I was ADD. I was, you know, you had the twins came right after me. And anyway, it was just this wonderful, delightful moment. So the progress is I made my dad laugh. Do you know what you said to make him laugh? Was there one memorable conversation or a or something that you shared that you both chuckled about? So I'll tell you the very last thing. So he drops me off at the airport. Yeah. And as we're, we had just spent about 35 minutes, 40 minutes having coffee together. And then he dropped me off. So he's, I'm, I'm ready to get out of the car. And I look at him and say, dad, I love you. He goes, son, I love you too. I give him a little hug. 
I step out of the car and I look back at him and I say, Machen's gut, <laughs> which is a German phrase for make it good, Machen's gut. But he said it at the exact same time too. And it was like, we, and then we laughed at the same time. Yeah. So it was so, and then we really laughed because we said Machen's gut at the same time. And then we laughed at the same time. And then I turned and walked into the airport. So I thought, okay, mission accomplished. Yeah. I was able to make my dad laugh. That's so. great. Don't you find that leaving your parents each year they get older is more difficult? Oh my gosh. Because you think it might be the last. You just don't know. Boy, you just said it so well. And you want to, you want to remember their smell, the laughter, the looking in their eyes, because once they're gone, they're gone. They're gone. You'll yeah. never get the I love you again. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly right. Or the... German phrase. Yeah, machen's gut. Yeah. Okay, enough of that. All That's right. kind of a little little uh, emotional. So tell me, what was your progress? So this weekend, I had a big weekend, friends doing incredible things. One released a book, and I was part of her book launch party. And another friend who I periodically go jogging with ran a half marathon. And I was so proud of her, and it was such a joyful, emotional moment because she's had some real hard things happen over the past year. and. She didn't think she was going to maybe be able to do it. And she kept training, even though it was so difficult, especially to do on her own, because I can't go the distance with her anymore because of an ankle injury that I suffered about 11 to 12 years ago. I had surgery and after the surgery, nerve damage. And so I just can't run. And a few years following the surgery, I was always so not unjoyful, but sad for myself when a friend would run a half marathon and I couldn't. I remember my husband ran one. He didn't even want to run one. I felt it was so unfair. He doesn't even want to run and he's running one and I want to and I can't. And I threw lots of pity parties and another friend ran one and I also was but very sad for myself. But this time I was not sad for myself and I was really just so joyful for my friend. So I felt like that was progress that I'd worked through the loss. That's huge progress. Yeah. That is really progress. I remember when you had that surgery. I do too. <laughs> do you still, can you run at all or is it just you have to run a real limited amounts? Real limited amounts. And right now I'm having some flare up issues. So I'm trying not to run, but three and a half, four miles is probably top. And then my ankle starts to shut down. So anyway, I'm trying to look at the long-term cost of running and maybe it's not the best idea to do it anymore. So yeah. anyway. Well, but that is huge progress. Yeah. We had two emotional progresses today. I know. Today. Usually it's like our <laughs> our yard got cleaned up. Or you brought queso to me <laughs> yeah, after your right. trip to New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Usually we're really shallow. We're not shallow people, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> we I'm not. Be. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, Dave, let's jump into our topic today about the different types of formats for packaging your ideas or your stories and how to identify which format is best for you. But first, Dave, I read that long intro with all these staggering statistics, all these numbers of the content down the world. Were there any that really shocked you or is this not really shocking to you as a person in the field of content creation? I think it, it is shocking to me. And I think just when you added it all together, it made me think, well, gosh, should I even create anything? There's just nothing new under the sun. There, I'm not needed. I mean, I had that emotion as I was listening to you. And I'm sure that some of our other listeners may feel that same way. I mean, with that amount of content, gosh, it, make, it makes me realize maybe we need more followers and more readers as opposed to content creators. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> And also, I was thinking, okay, so if there is that much content in the market, if our world is that saturated with content, then your ideas must be so sharp and so thoughtful and so focused on an audience that, you're, that you have an audience that actually wants to listen to you. And I think our tendency is to be too general. Oh, and so true. So I hope today that you're not overwhelmed by those numbers, but that you're encouraged by to move forward with the type of packaging that works best for you. So Dave, talk a little bit about your podcasting. You started when podcasting was new before there were millions and millions of podcasts and episodes. What's changed or what did you learn back then that still applies today? 
friend and I started a podcast called Two Guys in a River. It is a fly fishing podcast. And we wanted to make the podcast different because neither of us want to set ourselves up as fly fishing experts. And there was a really good fly fishing podcast called the Orvis Podcast with Todd Rosenbauer, I think his name, or Rosenbaum. And, and so we couldn't compete with that. And there was also a new podcast at the time with a young woman, and she, her name was April Volke. And so she had a podcast that was really gaining steam, but it was back in 2015. And so, but there wasn't a million of podcasts. Now every fly fishing shop almost has a podcast. Yeah. So it took us four years when we started, we started in 2015. It took, we published every week and we also published a fresh piece of content, like a blog post on our website every week. That's that first year, I remember looking at the numbers because you could see how many subscribers you had and it was depressing. And I remember after doing it for like six months, I could only see that we had like a hundred. It was very discouraging, but we kept at it. And also I figured some things out just on production side and how to get it up. And I I had made some mistakes, right? Because I had never done this before. So fast forward three and a half years later, we ended up being one of the top probably five largest podcasts in the fly fishing space. So that's a very narrow space, very narrow. And so we had roughly somewhere between 10 and 12,000 podcast subscribers. and in that space at the time that ended up being one of the top fly fishing podcasts. And so we stopped right around COVID because we were just burned out. Even before COVID, we said, you know, we can't keep doing this. I remember that. After four years. So we then backed off and and right away our our numbers plummeted. Yeah, (laughs) they did. They they did. No, they did. No, they did. So we are now podcasting again. We do four episodes every season. So we do at least 16 episodes a year, and then we have some other ones that we'll do. But we are now down to about 3,000 subscribers. So the big lesson, I think, is we're at a different time now. And so if you launch a podcast, it will be very difficult to have a mass market audience. I was going to ask you, Dave, so if you were entering into this very niche audience market for podcasting right now, if you hadn't done it before, what questions would you be asking yourself to differentiate from all the fly fishing podcasts that are out there right now? Well, the first thing is I would make sure that I am listening to other fly fishing podcasts so that I'm not doing this thinking that somehow mine is going to be unique, right? So for example, and I, so I would do the exact same thing that I did then. I don't mm-hmm. think that has changed. So Steve and I said, as I said, we want to be frickin' frock or what's the phrase? Frickin' frack? Frickin' frack, yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to be two guys, two friends, just talking fly fishing. And sometimes it's about fly fishing. Sometimes it's about the love of fly fishing. And we're not setting ourselves up as experts, but it's a conversation about two people. So if I were starting a podcast today, if you look at a lot of the podcast models, there's a person who interviews experts. That's kind of the main model. I would ask myself, is there a different model? Like, how about two of us discussing topics like what we're doing today? Now, our model is a combination of interviews and conversation. And conversation. You and I, for a long time, it was just you and I, but then we also added in people. So often now it's maybe one out of 10 that we do, just you and me. So I would ask myself for format is one of the big things. What format wise, could I do something that's fresh, that's different, slightly different? For that would be the first thing I would ask. The other thing that I wanted to remark on, and this is going to be a common theme throughout this podcast, is it took you three years to see that number go to- a place where you were happy with the subscribers, right? And I think what we want to encourage you today with is that it's going to take three years to find lift in any one of these areas. You'll, you'll, there's still benefit, even as you're growing, you'll still get followers and you'll still have influence. But as you're looking at numbers and numbers being a measure of your success, you can't really expect to see those real significant increases until about the three-year mark. Isn't that true with just about everything? It really is that thousand-day mark. I would love to hear you just briefly talk about 
that same phenomena when you did your McGillicuddy Instagram, right? So we've talked about this before, but I think in the context of it takes longer than you think. And if you aren't committed to it, and if you aren't thinking about consistency, you will struggle. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't even mention social media aside from TikTok in the introduction, but that's another way to create content. And obviously you don't own the content, so you want to wrestle with that. But back to my story. Yes, I started in, I think it was probably 2017, if I remember correctly. So I've been doing this about, maybe it's 2016. I've been doing it about seven years. And then it was really a new thing, especially for people in MySpace, vintage space, home living space to use it as kind of a micro blog to share ideas and pictures, which blogging was was preeminent. Everybody was blogging and suddenly people are moving it to Instagram because it's less it's less trouble. It takes less time to post one picture and one idea. You know, blogging you have to get multiple pictures and it's just a little bit longer form. And so it was new and I jumped on and you know, I remember within like two months I had a thousand followers and that's not like viral like sometimes happens even today. People get fifty thousand followers overnight if one of their reels or videos goes viral. But still, I was I was gaining followers pretty rapidly. But I'm now at 32,000 and that's seven years later. So it slowed down significantly. It took me a long time to get to here. And it was really only about year three that I think I hit about the 10,000 mark. And that's huh. where you, I think, probably are considered more of an influencer once you get to the you know tens of thousands. Very, very small influencer, but I think that that's probably a significant number. So it just takes time. And I've seen so many shifts on social media, specifically Instagram, because that's where I share now people are turning to subscriptions. So on Instagram, you can have this subscription button where you make people pay for content behind the curtain. And lots of people are moving towards that because content creators were getting sick of giving all this content away from free. And it's one way to deepen your relationship with people and get to people who really want stuff from you and who aren't passive. So that's a big shift that's taken place. Of course, video was a big shift also because our that's just what people want, our videos. Look at TikTok, the billions of videos that are on TikTok. So lots of changes. You have to grow, right? I think with all of these things, if you commit to something, be prepared to grow and understand how the environment is changing. That is a great way to start our conversation today because I think what we want to, the question we want to ask is if, if you are a coach, a consultant, maybe you're a wealth advisor, maybe you're an executive of some sort and you want to, you have ideas and you want to get those ideas into the world. Often people think, do I have a book in me? Mm-hmm. Right? That's the thought. But it might be that a book is not the first thing you should think about. So that's our question today about what are the different forms of content and when do you think you know that you have a book and when should it be some other form? And then I'll just add this. We also talk about families because we work with family enterprises and families that have businesses and families who want to tell their story, there's other forms other than a book as well. Absolutely. So we want to talk about both of those things today. So the question is, if you're someone who wants to get your ideas out into the world, what is the best format for that? And I think we just are going to start out with that first question, is a book really for you? You've probably had somebody say, oh, you should write a book to build your consulting practice, or you should write a book because you're such a good writer. But there's some questions that we want you to really wrestle with before you decide, hey, I'm going to write a book. And the first question is, do you have the time to write a book? Because there is a huge time commitment to writing a book. I just mentioned my friend who launched her book on Sunday. She worked on that book for three years, from the idea formation to the publication. She self-published. That's three years. We're working with another author, and it's been, I think, probably about five years It just takes a long time. So do you have the time to commit to this? And will you lose interest? Or is this something that you can commit to for the long haul? A corollary to that is, if you've never written before, do you really want your first writing project to be a book? 
I, I think you should start blogging or you should start to see if you really even want to do this. Yeah. And that has to do with this other question that we would want you to what, wrestle with. And that is, do you have an idea that can hold about 50,000 words and can sustain the interest of readers for that long? So start with a blog. Can you sustain the interest of your readers for 1,500 words? Can you write 1,500 words? And do you have a topic that you keep on saying, oh man, I could write on that again and that again. And that's usually a good indication that you have a book idea. If you keep on coming up with ideas around the same topic, and then you start to say, oh, I think I have an idea around that topic, then you probably have a book idea. But you don't know that until you're writing regularly, typically. And again, the corollary, I think you mentioned this, but there are very few ideas that are big enough for a book. And I'll, I will say this, there's a lot of different types of books that you could write. For example, I'm working on this. In fact, I just made huge progress on this fly fishing book that I'm doing right now. It's called the song Fly Fishing Proverbs. So we take a proverb from a, a legendary fly fisher, and then we write short essays on it. That's a format of a book that's a lot different from a straight 50,000 words. But if you're going to, if you're in a coach or a consultant or an executive or, and you want to write a book that has some influence, your idea has to be big enough and yet narrow enough that you can arrest the attention and sustain the attention of, of readers for 50,000 words. Can That's you, hard. It's very hard. Can you give an example of what would be the opposite of that, a book that doesn't sustain the interest or signs that your idea isn't big enough for a book? So often in, in the field that we work in, there's a, you know, topics on like innovation or leadership. They're kind of big business topics. Or if you're in spirituality, it might be something or psychology, it might be a self-help book. And the topics themselves are too general. Leadership is one of those books that there's been so much written on it and your, your eyes just glaze over. So if you're doing something on the topic of leadership, you almost have to attack the topic from something that is almost anti-leadership, meaning you have to talk about it in a fun way. Like, for example, the book by, was it Blanchard that wrote, Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, right. Right. So it was a fable, but it was really about leadership. Yeah. But he, he did it in such a fresh way. Another way would be The Five Dysfunctions of a Team would be a very popular book that he approached the topic of leadership from a negative perspective. I probably wouldn't have selected that myself. If I'd been an editor, I probably would have said, hey, can you state that positively? But it really worked. Or The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. That, that book is, you know, that was a list book. So if you have a topic, I think there's two things to make it work for you. One is, are you passionate about it? Have you done research? That's two. Number three, is it specific enough that forces you to say, that will allow you to say something fresh? I think we did an interview recently where the person we interviewed talked about dieting as an example. There are so many diet books out there, healthy living books out there. And the only way that you'll ever get picked up by a literary agent, she's the one who helps people with book proposals. I think it was Lisa Tenner, if you want to go listen to that. She said, the only way to get picked up by a literary agent is if your topic is so focused. So you can't just do a general diet or healthy living book. You have to get like, for 65-year-olds, these are healthy practices or something like that. You just have to narrow it so specifically to have any sort of reach. Okay, the final question is this, and we've talked around it a bit already, and that is, do you really want to write a book? Do you really want to, or is it something you just think you should do because everybody else is doing it or other people have told you what you want, you should do it? You don't have to write a book to have influence, and I think that's what we want to reiterate today. A book doesn't have to be the way you package your idea, but if you, want, if you are going to write a book, you really need to want to write the book. Melissa, you just said something that triggered a thought. If you take the book writing, if that's, if that's a journey you take, it will change you. And how it will change you, it will make you appreciate how hard it is to do this. And it will change your writing. 
It will change your discipline. It will force you to think about audience. It will make you grow in a way that you've never grown before. And so, you know, not all of us are cut out to do that. Right. And that's okay. And that's kind of the point of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So if we've discouraged you from writing a book, (laughs) (laughs) well, if we have, here are some alternative ways to extend your thought leadership that are not as big as as a book. And there's something that you can start doing today. And one of the alternatives that is increasing in popularity, and we mentioned it in the introduction, and it doesn't have nearly the saturation point that blogging does, and that is a subscription platform like Substack. And you can create these newsletters or these long-form articles that you post. I guess they don't even have to be long-form, but lots of them are long-form that you, you post on Substack and people subscribe and you can have paid subscriptions. And some people actually make a huge living at this. I was doing some research yesterday and there are some people who make $500,000, $50,000 because it's like $5, $6 subscription. And if you have a thousand subscribers, that's a month. That's, that's a lot of money, right? So. Anyway, you can look at Substack as a way to to do your writing and it doesn't have to be on your blog, but you can still extend your reach and it's just a great way to think about getting your ideas out there. We have people that we work with who use Substack and they don't ask for people to pay. But the key is always consistency. Are you willing to produce something consistently that people when they go and look for you can find something new because there's nothing worse following somebody and then they never produce anything. Substack changed everything with that model, the paid subscription model. They, they enabled you to capture people's data. I mean, the whole thing was brilliant. And so Substack is a great place. If you're someone who has ideas, it is a great place to start. And maybe you never even go deeper into a book. You could make money doing that, or you could extend your reach doing yeah. that. All right. Another way that you can extend your influence is something we've already talked about, and that is to create a podcast. And Dave, we're using a podcast right now to reach our audience and to extend our influence. And we started this 2020, summer of 2020. And we had to really wrestle with, is this something that we can commit to for at least a year? Because you knew from past experience, and I knew from my experience with Instagram, that anything that you're going to do is going to take a while to gain any sort of significant growth. And so we committed to it. And now we're three years in, and we've, we have some loyal followers, listeners, and it's growing. And the key there is also consistency. And we started out doing it once a week. Now we do it every other week, but we are consistent. We met today to record because we're like, we haven't done one in a while. We have nothing coming up. We've got to do a podcast recording. So the question is, can you be consistent? And as we discussed, how can you narrow your podcast and be different from the rest? I remember starting a podcast. Remember this with another partner about three years ago. Maybe it was right before COVID. Actually, it was right before COVID. It was probably 2019. We did about six or seven episodes. We looked at each other and said, no, I don't even know if I like you enough to do this. That's hilarious. Well, good. I guess you like me enough because you've stuck with me for three years. But it was a, actually, I really liked her a lot. That wasn't it. But we realized there wasn't anything unique. It was kind of preachy. It just, it just didn't feel right. And so we shut it down. So I do think Sometimes you need to shut stuff down. But I do think the consistency, if you're going to do a podcast and you want to do it whenever you feel like it, it's just not going to work. So don't start it. I will say this, that in doing this podcast, two really wonderful things have happened. Actually, I would say three. One is that every time you do a podcast, you create content for your blog. So that's good. And you mentioned that also. So you do a podcast and then you write a blog around the topic that you covered, or you just simply do show notes and you post it to your blog and that's fresh content. And of course, you all know that Google loves fresh content. So that was one benefit. The other benefit was that we were always learning in our field of expertise. We have this understanding that we can't know it all, but every time we interviewed somebody, we would get a fresh perspective on something, our thinking would change maybe a little bit, or at least it would deepen. 
And that is something so rich when you are an influencer or want to have reach in the world, you should always be growing as a thinker. And so doing a podcast like that, especially if you do the interview format, you're just growing as a thinker. And third is that you make these wonderful connections. It's a great way to network if you're doing the interview format. So there's some really wonderful things that happen when you podcast that can also help you develop as a thought leader. All right. Another type of content that you can be creating is short form videos. And of course, you can do it through TikTok. I would imagine most people in our audience are not TikTokers, but it's amazing the diversity of people on TikTok and how it's used in this more popular realm of of trade expertise. People get on there and talk about, I I follow a death doula, somebody who is with people in their final moments nearing death. A what? Would a you death, say that again? A death doula, D-O-U-L-A, right? Somebody who's with people who are dying. And it's not somebody like in hospice, it's that somebody's it's just there taking care of them in their final moments. Maybe they need to reach out to somebody or write something or just sit with them, bring somebody in to comfort them. They're just with the person. Wow. And so she did a series of short form videos on TikTok to explain what it was. And it, it went viral. People were interested. And then she continued to create content. And this all really expanded her reach as a thought leader in that space. So TikTok does work even if you're not young, even <laughs> if you're in maybe a field that feels a little bit stodgy, you can really use it in fresh ways and it's gonna, it could go viral. But you can do short form videos on all platforms. LinkedIn, we have somebody that we follow on LinkedIn who does short form videos and she does a great job. We interviewed her here. Do you want to talk about her? You're a huge fan of hers. I am. Her name is Amy Davies. I think she uses LinkedIn better than anybody I've ever seen. She had a book. When she did her book, she did 25 days to launch. So she did something really fun, day 25. So she counted it down to her book launch. And so she is a business to business, or she has a business to business business. She is onboarding for uh, corporations, but she is fabulous. She has mastered LinkedIn in terms of video. So I think some of you might not want to do podcasting. You might not be a good writer or think of yourself as a good writer. But when you step in front of a video, you can rip off some stuff. Yes, you do some preparation, but you're just really good in video. Then do video. That is where you enter the content creation place. You don't have to think of a book. You don't have to blog. If video is your thing, and you said something the other day too about it doesn't have to be high production. And if you look at a lot of the TikTok stuff, it's not high production. It doesn't mean that it's poor quality. It doesn't mean you don't dress up and you look into the camera and you have three point, you know, whatever you need to do to make it work. But it doesn't need to be this high-end corporate video. That has been the big shift in the last 15 years is, is the advancement of this short-form video and people love it. And just to give the alternative to that point is you can do scripted short-form videos also. We've done our share of scripted short-form videos. Yeah. and. That's another option. If you don't feel good just talking off the cuff and spontaneously, then you can do scripted short form videos. And a short form video is really about 30 seconds to a minute, three minutes. I guess long form video is actually 10 minutes or bigger. So short form, I guess it goes all the way up to 10 minutes, but I think that's getting pretty long yeah, actually. When, long. I, when I talk about short form videos, I'm really thinking in that TikTok-y range, you know, 30 seconds to a minute and a half probably. So, and then Dave, the other thing about this is this is something that you can publish on your blog. You can put yep. short form videos on your blog. Just do a short introduction with those SEO keywords and, you know, Google's going to suck that up. It's yep. content. It is content. You can put it on YouTube, bring it into your website. There's just so many things you can do with bringing it into LinkedIn. Once you have that, once you do it, there's, and then plus back to your point, you have all this content now that helps you. If you want to write, you can use that video content for writing. You can suck that into a, a blog post. You can take a three-minute video and create a three-minute blog post. There's all these things you can do once you have that content. Hey, Dave, a little blurb for ChatGPT. You could take the transcript of that video, throw it into ChatGPT and get a basic blog post that then you could massage and maybe add a little extra to. I love it. And we do that all the time for other clients like our marketing clients. ChatGPT has become kind of essential to 
that first draft. All right, let's talk about long-form videos because these are different. They take a little bit more planning, a lot more planning. We're in the midst of doing one right now. And these are generally scripted. You can't do a long-form video without having some sort of script. That doesn't mean that you have to follow the script on your speed, but you have to know where it's going. You yeah. ha- need a storyboard of some sort. You need a structure, a deeper structure. You need to understand how you're going to hold the attention of the reader from beginning to end, but they can be really effective. And you could use long-form videos in courses. You could use them as instructional videos. You could use them to tell a story. Dave, how else do you see using long-form videos? I think you could use it. I mean, corporations use it for messaging, right? So, but I think you could also, people use in a sense, long-form video is now bundled with podcasting. Usually we think of podcasting as audio only, but of course, Joe Rogan and all these major podcasters now, it's, it's a combination of video and podcasting. So in that, in that sense, that is a form of long-form video. Some of these are two hours long, these these podcasts. But back to your point about scripted, I, I, I do think that if you're going to do long form video that is not podcast stuff, it does need to be scripted, thought out, structure, beginning, middle, and end, storyboarded. And, and you can just use these. You can use these for openings of speeches or part of your presentation. There's so many things you could do once you have that tool. All right. Another idea is you can write an ebook. And this is in different in kind to a book that is converted to an ebook, like for Kindle. When we talk about an ebook, it's something that's much shorter. It contains short chapters. It's digestible. It's something that people usually download off of the internet, or you can even put it up on Amazon. You can design it yourself as a PDF and put it up on Amazon, but they're usually PDFs typically. They're yes. not things that you put on Kindle or you format for Kindle, that would be what you do for a book. And it's just a way to package your content in a more digestible way, especially if you don't have a full idea for a book, but you have some ideas, why not try an ebook first? We're thinking of doing one on research for nonfiction. Yes. And we're going to break it into three small ebooks. Ebooks are great tools. They probably should be really packaged, in other words, designed. So it's just not content. So there needs to be call outs and nice subheads and maybe some illustrations through it. Just make it really visual. But ebooks are just a great format for people that maybe don't want to write a full book. And maybe you write the ebook and go, oh man, no, this is a full book. That's what I love about all these alternatives to writing a book is you test out your ideas to see if you have a book. So again, it goes back to starting small and then seeing what comes out of it. And usually good stuff does come out of it. All right. The final way that you can package your ideas is an online course. Do you want to talk about that, Dave? You've done some before. So let's talk about it. So Amy Porterfield, if you know who she is, she's the the guru of online courses. And so she has built a whole business. I saw her number the other day that she's basically made $85 million through the years. No way. Selling online courses. The dark side of online courses is that very few people actually finish courses and actually take the courses. So if you do an online course, which I love the idea of doing an online course, it really has to be packaged well, thought out well, short, very interactive, and it's really best done in a facilitated format where there's a coach that's facilitating the learn by yourself. There's a few people that do that really well, but a lot of people need the facilitation of learning, which is that teacher facilitated type. So if you're going to do a course, I would, I would add the facilitation piece, but that is a legitimate, legitimate form of content. And maybe your content really lends itself to an online course that you can integrate with your coaching, integrate with your consulting, integrate it with your speaking in some way. Right. So instead of a book, maybe it's a course that you should be focusing your time on. We have one more format. And that is audiobook only. Recently, I listened to Miracle and Wonder Conversations with Paul Simon. It was an audiobook that Malcolm Gladwell did with his longtime friend, Bruce. I think his name is Headlam. Anyway, it was like the best audiobook ever. They had this, these conversations with Paul Simon that were very intimate that you could not have done if it had been a book first. 
and then try to make it into audio. Usually when you think of audio books, you think of you have a book and you just do an audio version. This was really clear that this was an audio book in its original thinking. And it was just amazing. So my point to you is all today is maybe your content should be an audio book. And there's all these ways to do, you could do interviews with people that you could stitch in. You could do readings of certain things. It's just, there's just a million ways to make an audio book really pop. And it's different in kind from writing. So this is different than taking your book and putting it into audio format. Right, that comes after right. the book. This is, you're doing an audio book by itself. By itself. Thinking of a unique structure, a way to integrate different t- types of research and media. So I love that idea. All right. So we're going to turn now briefly to different formats if you're considering sharing a family story. We have lots of people who come to us and say, I want to write a story about my family to pass on to the next generation. And often people think that this is a book and it follows the legacy book biographical model. My great, great, great ancestors arrived on this date, they did this, and then the next generation did this. You know, it's, it's pretty chronological. It's driven by the family tree. And that's one way to package your family story. And it's a legitimate way to pass on the legacy so it's not lost throughout the generations to come. But there are other formats. And Dave, you learned about a new format that people are using to share their family legacy. What is it? It's called Legacy Letters or Ethical Wills. There's a a woman out of Denver. Her name is Nancy Sharp. And it's a distillation of your history and values. It's something you write near the end of your life, but I don't think it has to be at the end of your life. We did a letter to my son as he was going off to college about what we expected out of him. Actually, when he was about to graduate, what we expected out of him is a kind, I don't think it would be an ethical will or a legacy letter. It was more of an instructional letter. But there were some values that you wanted him to to capture. capture. That's exactly, here's how we think about this. And it was written out of love and what you wanted. Yeah, totally. It was not crisis Mm -hmm. driven. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. So this is not as onerous as a book. Okay, you know, some, some families might say, well, we really want to do the legacy book, but maybe not. It's such a big project. Maybe it's emotionally, it's easier to tackle a letter than a book just by virtue. You write the letter and when you're done, you're done. You don't have a, kind of this thinking of how many pages it has to right, be. Right. Structure. Structure, who I have to interview. How I gotta many get words. This right. Yeah, it's your, it's your view on your legacy and it's what you want to pass on. So it really helps to crystallize your thinking about exactly what you want to live beyond you. Another idea instead of a book, and this is like the audio book that Dave mentioned previously, is to do interviews with people who are still alive and ask them about their memories of their family. And you can then string that together. And of course, think about structure and how you want it to flow. But that is different in kind from writing as well. You're really acting as the producer editor and you're right. trying to figure out how to tell the story through curated interviews. And you're thinking about what part of that interview needs to be cut because you only want the essential stuff. And then how does it flow together? So it's you can hire somebody to help you do that and you can just oversee it, but you can get an editor to help you figure out the technical side of it. But there's a lot less pressure with that too, I would say. There is because suddenly you're not the right, once you say you're going to write something and write 50,000 words or 30,000, it just, it, it changes the nature of the work. But when you can do audio or video, I think this could be both or right. either audio either, yep. or video. I think it's, I think it's a great way to, in a sense, pass on the, the current stories of the family. Yeah, right now we're working on a video documentary. You mentioned you could do this through video as well. And so we've done a lot of research to try to gather the stories of this family. And now we're creating a storyboard and a script to go along with it. And then we're going to go back and get the interviews that we want to be featured in this mini documentary, 10 to 12 minutes. So that's long form video. And maybe you do a shorter one. That's a short form video. And you could do it chronological. We're not going the chronological route with ours, but there are multiple ways you could do it. You could do it through themes. You could do it through other ways. So 
the idea there is you're not writing a book, you're curating the stories, you're telling them, you're telling the story by editing. I love the word that you use, curating. You know, you think of a curator at a museum. Yeah. And it's just a great phrase to to really capture what can happen in 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 a great video, in a in like letters even. You're curating what you want to pass on, right? Yeah. You're winnowing everything down to the essentials. I also love this idea of an image-driven book with very short essays or captions. And what would be great about this is if you have a box of archive materials and pictures and on the back is scribbled, this is Aunt Jean with Uncle Frank at Long Beach, California in 1932. You could actually do maybe a little bit more research, ask somebody living, you know, why were they there? And you could post, you could publish that picture in a book and write a little short narrative. short narrative, yeah. Just a short one. They were there for this reason and that reason. And this was a pivotal point because blah, or maybe it wasn't a pivotal point, but there's a story to go along with it. So you can start with these documents or these images and that can drive the book. And it takes the pressure off writing a long narrative. You're just thinking of it like captions, long captions, like magazine captions. Yes. It could be anything from 25 words to 150 words to 300 words. In my head, I have this image of it. You have the picture on, it's a spread, right? And you have an image on the left and on the right, you have a nice title and just this short little snippet or essay. It's not really an essay, but, and it's more than just who's in the picture, but it's, a, it's anecdotal. I love that idea. And yeah. you get 25 of those, you have a... 50 to 75 page book by the time it's all over. And there are so many great self-publishing platforms out there that you can do this on your own, or you could hire somebody, go to Fiverr. There are a bunch of places where you can find people to help you do this if you can't do it on your own, but you like the idea. All right, Dave, how do we want to close out this episode? What, what do we want people to feel and take away when they end this episode today? So I have two emotion. I personally have two emotions. It's a bit overwhelming when I think of all the content that's out there. So that's that should be a good signal to you that that if you're going to produce something, we believe in the people that we work with, and mm-hmm. that there are not enough really good ideas, even even still, that are well done that need to be out in the world. So. I think that emotion of saying, oh, there's so much out there. What do I have to contribute? That's good because it leads to this other thing, which I think is, okay, so if I do something, it needs to be, it needs to meet a need, it needs to target an audience, and it needs to be really well done. And consistently done. And consistently done. And I believe everybody can do that. So I want you to leave saying, Oh, here's the format that I think I want to start out with. And my guess is most of you are not going to do a book initially. But some of you may have, I mean, I could be wrong. Some of you may have this big, hairy idea. You've got research and you're ready to go. That's different. But there are all these other ways to get your ideas out into the world. And I just want you to feel like you can do it and you should do it. And it's, the right format is key to all this. That's a great note to end on. Hopefully you guys can let us know what's working for you and how you've felt inspired by this episode. We want you all to succeed and have just great, wonderful outcomes from getting your ideas out into the world published. All right, Dave, let's turn to our words of the episode and I will go first and I'm going to say it like the lady on Miriam Webster, Orotund. <laughs> <laughs> Orotund. And it is a formal word used as a synonym for sonorous, which is one that I think I used previously. And it describes something usually a voice marked by fullness, strength, and clarity of sound, like a preacher with an orotund voice. It can also be used disapprovingly to mean pompous or bombastic, which I can imagine people describing politicians with an orotund voice. I always thought when I heard it, It sounded a lot like rotund. Yes. And I looked it up and they're actually synonyms. Rotund can be used in the same way to describe a full voice. But more 
regularly it's used to describe something that's round and full. So an object that is round and full, something that's rotund. So it's interesting that they are synonyms, but the more common use of the word rotund is not orotund. You also said that orotund is a, is synonymous with sonorous, right? Right. When I think of that word, I always think of snoring. I think of boring. Oh, right. But right. that's not really the right. No, it has to do with the clarity of sound. Sonorous. Sonorous. Yeah. And you mentioned that, but I was realizing I was defaulting back to my original thinking of that word. So sonorous and orotund are synonyms. Right. And it can also be used disapprovingly to mean pompous or bombastic. It's amazing how there are all these layers to words, right? Which is why it's so important to improve your vocabulary. Because sometimes, like what I just said about sonorous, it's wrong. And I probably got it wrong on the SAT, you know, that (laughs) so many years ago. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe you got it right. All right, Dave, what's your word of the episode? So mine is sedulously. That's the adverb. It comes from the adjective to mean something that involves or is accomplished with careful perseverance. So the, ver- the, the adverb I really got from, I think I was reading an article the other day and I thought, whoa, I have not seen that word. So sedulously, it's an adverb that means carefully and with a lot of effort and determination. I sedulously cultivated my garden. I love that. That's a great word. It's kind of messy to say on your tongue. It kind of gets... It is messy. <laughs> gets locked up in my tongue and my lips there, but it's a good word. By the way, we should tell a little secret here that both you and I had to listen to the word because you and I are readers. And so we'll read a word, but we don't know how it is precisely pronounced. And so we always go to the, you know, internet and hear, hear the word. My son is like that as well. And he saw the name of his pastor at his church. He started going to a new church and his name is Aaron, but he thought it was a Aaron. That's classic reader. It's <laughs> yeah. a classic reader. It's hilarious. So we have a big ongoing joke about his name being a Aaron. Can you imagine somebody being named that? <laughs> I've been corrected before by people, you know, oh, that's not how it works. That's, not, that's really not how you say it. And that's a service in the long run. Right. It is Even a though it's embarrassing in the moment because I've been there too. <laughs> Unfortunately, they usually take you aside. Hey, Dave, when you said patronizing, it was really patronizing. But then I found out that it can be both. Oh, good. So you were right. You could be patronizing Did, Were you patronizing, patronizing and go back to him and tell him that you were right all along? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that concludes our episode. We hope that you find a lot of energy to go find a great way to get your content out in the world. And as we like to say, I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write or create a video or start a podcast or dot, dot, dot. (laughs) 